May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When we get to the parables of Jesus, we are frequently met with something deep inside of us that says, hey, that's not fair. And this uh, parable maybe does it better than, than any of them. This uh, notion that some workers would start making a bargain with the hirer to go out at the beginning of the day and then others midday and others late in the day and they all get paid the same. I don't care how many commentaries you read, you're still probably going to say, hey, wait, it's still, it's still not fair. And that is because we, uh, we apply our own principles of social justice that make a really deep sense to us uh, to these parables. And if it doesn't feel fair to read them or to hear these parables, then probably Jesus was accomplishing maybe what he set out to do. And that is to say that the kingdom of God is really different. And God is really different than we are. And some of these things, you're not going to want to be fair because God is going to show his own nature to us. And his nature will be better for you than what you normally consider fairness. Now, I got a little lesson in, uh, in justice development, fairness development this past week. I was uh, with my wife, Jennifer. We were watching our two-year-old grandson. And did you know that two-year-olds are developing a, a system of fairness in their own minds all the time? And uh, it's really well-developed. I mean, what is fair is what he wants at the moment. <laughs> and then we interrupt with some other weird idea of fairness, which is what we think should happen. And then the only thing to be, to be decided is how loudly he will protest this, uh, this interruption of his justice. The reason that we were keeping uh, William, our two years old and two month old grandson, is that he's now big brother. Uh, granddaughter Louise was born on Wednesday, and since... Uh, William was kind of sick for about a week. We were keeping his house clean enough for the baby and the mom and the dad to get back into. So they were all reunited uh, yesterday uh, in their home, and it was great. But believe me, a two-year-old knows what's fair and what's not. And they can issue quite a protest. That's toddler justice. We have learned that justice doesn't really apply to natural disasters at all. It, uh, although we ask the question, how can this be fair or why me, it is a frustration. And there's no way around the frustration. I was really um, grateful uh, for how Father Bates put it to us right after Harvey came. 
and uh, the notion that this is something that we are in to for the long haul, that it is more than a disruption, it's a catastrophe, it's an interruption to our sense of well-being. And it happens, but then it, can, it is still happening to us. And it takes a lot of time uh, to get through it. When rescuers were going out, professional ones and folks that were just moved to jump in, deliverance was taking place for those people. And on those bass boats, when they got to the place where someone needed to be moved to safety, there was no interview about how well they merited deliverance. There was no survey. There was no screening. And that's because rescuers do not check the merits of people being saved, one's need qualifies you. And that's more to the reality of the kind of divine economy taking place in the parable today, and really in the other scriptures as well. It is the need for God that qualifies us for God's deliverance. Last week, we were treated to some great consideration. Father Bob gave us a fresh and strong look at the immeasurable forgiveness of God and how that divine forgiveness moves us to forgive ourselves, to forgive within ourselves others. Indeed, how our experience of God's forgiveness uh, how we experience God's forgiveness has a proportionate relationship to our own decisions to forgive those who have sinned against us, those who have trespassed against us. God issues forgiveness because of our need to be forgiven, and that is a moving thing for us to learn how to forgive and to be motivated to forgive greatly. In today's parable, we're talking about forgiveness and we're talking about the entire reality of how God provides for us in a number of ways, a number of aspects of life. God's grace, God's love, God's inclusion, God's nurturing, his sustenance of our spiritual well-being. When we hear the story of Exodus, we are looking at a, a people undergoing suffering and their own sense of unfairness, of the world, of oppressors, of the things that have moved them uh, to wonder, where is God? But they did see God. They saw God intervene time and time again. This is the story of them realizing their desperation and God coming to deliver them. When they were up against it at the Red Sea, they saw the sea become a pathway. 
when they thirsted, they saw a rock become, in fact, kind of a fountain to assuage their thirst. When they were hungry and full of fear, God gave them bread in the morning, a kind of bread from above, and the quail that came out of nowhere for their dinner. God is responding to their fearfulness and their, their loss and their hunger. For a moment before they were fed, they, they complained, and we can understand it. They complained and they thought, we'd rather be back in Egypt. Why didn't God let us die there where at least we had enough to eat? They overlooked what they were losing in terms of justice for their work, of, of a sense of who they are and what their purpose is in the world. So in this struggle, which is ongoing in the story of Moses, in this struggle, they discover that God will both feed them and will give them their identity and their purpose for going into the promised land. In the middle of their struggle, they are asking these deep and serious questions. Why? Why didn't we just die? And somehow that made me think when I read Paul's epistle of, of his own comments. He's thinking of death too. But he's transformed by the experience of Christ in the presence. And so his questions about death are different than those folks that were suffering in the wilderness. Paul is saying, I don't know whether to hope to die or to keep on working. Because the work that I'm doing is fruitful labor. And I can see how necessary it is for these, these young, young communities to hear and be taught the gospel. But, oh, to die would be to escape this, this life and to be in the presence of Christ. So he's not asking in a fearful, hungry, why me kind of way, but how could this be so amazing that to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul indeed has been transformed, for he is not one whose circumstances allow for such an attitude. He's the one who was shipwrecked. He has been beaten. He has been threatened to be stoned to death. He is the one separated from those that he started out with. And yet, he is only thinking, I'm with Christ now. I will be with Christ in an even more profound way later. The challenge for us is to understand that the Christian life is to cultivate our own awareness of God's provision for us. That Christ really is this daily bread 
this living bread that feeds and sustains us. We cultivate our awareness of God's provision and we practice partaking of God's supply of himself, partaking with joy and with thanksgiving. There are so many ways that we do that. And if you just take the instance of prayer, this corporate worship is a way of partaking of the living bread of Jesus who is with us now and gives himself to us. Your daily intercession by yourself or in a small group is a way of partaking of that living bread. I was so moved uh, today from a a school in North Carolina. Uh, Our people, our community here received a physical reminder of the prayers they have for us. All these petitions on pieces of paper strung along a big, big line and uh, decorated and, and well wishes and everything. And are you aware that the prayers uh, for the people that we hear at this liturgy are prayed for all the time? And those who are printed in our bulletin, those are in the prayers of, of fellow parishioners through the week. Did you know that those who have been most affected by this last storm have people paired up with them to pray for them every day? And this fosters our understanding that we are put together, that we are part of a community of prayer. And those occasions of intercession are, in fact, ways of partaking of the provisions of God. And many of you are finding new ways to pray. Just to finish up, I had a chance to to hear some lectures about the mystical tradition of the Christian church. And there are those saints in, in our calendar that we fully think of as mystics. And there are our mystical tendencies in many of the saints. We will celebrate one of them next week, our own patron, St. Francis. Uh, an amazing and profound strain of, of mystical prayer, mystical contemplation in the life of Francis. Now what I mean by that, and what, what I'm coming coming to understand about that through reading is that the mystic is very much attuned not only to those interesting aspects of knowing something about God, knowing something about the Holy Scriptures, knowing something about the practice of the faith. They're very tuned in to and cherish an awareness of God's activity in the moment. Not just emotional, not just intellectual, but as a matter of choice, understanding God to be at work 
in the moment. And much of what they finally write down and that we read is because they are aware that God is active all the time providing this bread of life. And so I want all of us to have that tendency. As interesting as it can be to know about things Christian, much more important to experience God's own activity within ourselves in the moment. I know you'll be fed, and as you are fed, you will be strengthened, and as you are strengthened, you will want to serve. Amen.